0: Awesome. Good morning. All six of our locations, one church, multiple locations, one church, multiple languages. We're just fired up that we get to build bridges, multiple places, multiple languages to help connect more people to the best life, the only life, uh, which is life in Christ. Hey, my name is Matt. Just privileged and honored uh, to welcome you here. Uh, We extend our condolences to all the Alabama fans. I know it's a rough night. For y'all, appreciate it that you made it to church and uh, everything. Right? I mean, it's crazy how, uh, how how we all do in the South, right? Hey, uh, next weekend though, we have a fantastic event and opportunity for our sixth through twelfth graders called One Day. <clears throat> kind of a conference on steroids, rockbridge.cc forward slash one day, have a conversation with somebody in the connect here area. So all sixth through 12th graders, this is a, a fantastic thing. You know, at Rockbridge, we make uh, no apologies. We really want to be for the next generation. We talked about being for someone uh, last week. We want to be for the next generation. And uh, what um, our students, my child, my teenager, what, people, what they get at things like this, pay dividends when you're like my age. Right as we talk about things that matter and, and eternity and how, how to how to you know build your life on something that lasts not something that fades. So I just want to encourage all our parents, all our guardians, hey, uh, really get work to get your sixth through twelfth grader uh, signed up and and showing up to things like this. Fantastic uh, opportunity, and, you know, in the hustle and the bustle. Sometimes we can miss this because we got something urgent, but not as important. I mean, this is important, and uh, one day we'll believe all this stuff is urgent too because it's really uh, how we're designed to live. So I'm f- I'm fired up for our for our young people, our sixth through twelfth graders. So we're in uh, the middle of a series, right? Called Unstoppable, and we talked about the church, the gospel, the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us as just this unstoppable movement f- fueled by this unstoppable message. It explains how Christianity went from a 120 people in one location to this global phenomenon and, and this global movement. And today we're going to talk about another aspect that's unstoppable. And it's important that we get this because it, this, this part of Unstoppable is an incredible, incredible privilege. And, and I don't want any of us as a church, as people of God, I don't want us to miss this incredible, incredible privilege, That's this component of Unstoppable. So to help us get there, I just want to do a little word association game. I'm going to put two words up on my TV screen. And you just kind of think in your mind, what comes to your mind first if you were asked to define Christian or church, <clears throat> Christian, or church. Now, what's crazy is that all of our definitions of these two things kind of get all over the map. I mean, you, you might not find two people who would agree what a Christian is. Some of you might say, well, a Christian is, is like judgmental or hypocritical or something like that. Some of you might say a Christian is someone who believes in God or someone who's trusted in Jesus. Someone you might say, well, a Christian is someone who goes to church. And, and there may be elements of truth to all those definitions, but when we talk about what's unstoppable today and this incredible, incredible privilege, we need to ha- make sure we have the fullest definition of po- possible of Christian, so that we can enjoy, experience, and live up and live into this privilege that we're going to be talking about. That's unstoppable. Same thing with church. A lot of people would say church is you know a building. Or church is a place I go on, on once a week or so, and, and around holidays, Christmas and Easter, that kind of thing. And, and so some people define church that way. Church is really just a group of Christians. But if our definition is off, or we don't understand this privilege that's baked into Christian, that's baked in the church, we kind of will live at a lesser level than God wants us to live. So a silly example of this would be if I were to say, hey, define a human being. And we all kind of came up with this definition, a human being is someone who breathes. Or a, a human being is someone who kind of, you know, uh, just is, is sort of alive, and if we woke up every day and all we did, were like, man, I'm alive today, or I'm breathing today, we, would, we could miss some things, right? We would miss the privilege of enjoying creation, the privilege of enjoying each other, the privilege of purpose, the privilege of calling, the privilege of contributing and adding value, being a part of a team. So if we don't have the, understand, the fullest understanding possible, we can miss God's best for us as Christians, and miss God's best for us as a church. So let's look and understand what this privilege is as part of Unstoppable Part 3. We're going to be in the book of Acts, but if you really want to follow along, we're going to hang out mostly in the book of Genesis chapter 18. But let's start this off, and we'll see what's unstoppable. So we got some followers of Jesus who have been talking about the name of Jesus and and the status quo people, the religious leaders of the cities are upset. So here we go, Acts 5, 28, and we'll jump to 34. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus? And then they accuse them or or, or give them a a description. And I want to tell you something, Rockbridge, I hope and pray that our six communities where we're located at today, and if God lets us go to a seventh or wherever God places us, I pray this could be said of us. Here it is. You have filled Hickson, Cleveland, Ringgold, Dalton, Chatsworth, Calhoun, Northwest Georgia, the Tennessee Valley, wherever. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching about Jesus. If that were true of this church we would be deemed faithful by our king and leader. Powerful, right? But they were enraged by this and wanted to kill them because they're filling the city with the name of Jesus. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men, these are the Christians, to be taken outside for a little while. And look what he's going to say, and he's going to introduce us to the privilege we have. He said to them, he says, Men of Israel... Be careful about what you're going to do to these men. Some, of, some time ago, and it and gets historical, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. A group of 400 men rallied to him, but he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. So they killed Thutis, and the movement behind Thutis stopped. After this, a man named Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. It was stoppable. Now, we're talking unstoppable, but Thutis and Judas the Galilean were stoppable. So here's what he says. Here's Gamaliel's application, and it gives us our privilege. He says, so in this present case, I tell you, stay away from these men, leave them alone, for if this plan is a, or this work is of human origin, if it's man-made, if it's man-conceived, it will fail, but if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them. You will not be able to stop it. And he even presses it further. He says, you may even be found fighting against God. If you oppose them, you could actually be opposing the God who is with them. And the group was persuaded by his argument. And notice the logic of this non-Christian guy. Camelia, he gets it, he understands it, and he introduces us to some component of this unstoppable movement that we're a part of that I want us to live up into and enjoy the privilege of. And and there's two phrases he uses. The first phrase is the phrase, of God. These guys could actually be of God. This this Christian thing, this church thing could be of God. Now, Now, listen, listen. A lot of people look at the church, and they just think it's, well, church people do church people things, non-church people do non-church people things, and they sort of think like a bunch of people thought up the church. Like 2,000 years ago, a bunch of people got in a room and said, hey, let's believe this, let's not believe this, and let's launch this movement called Christianity. That's not how Christianity began. We're going to look at the father of Christianity in a few minutes. His name was Abraham. And then what climaxed and really culminated and gave the the momentum is Jesus walked out of a grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. And then a group of people got together and said, well, we're going to follow the guy who rose from the dead. And it's of God. And so Gamaliel says, look, if this is of God, uh, it's unstoppable. And because these guys are doing what God might be might be doing, what God called them to do, commanded them to do, died for them to do, rose from them to do, put His Spirit in them to do. You oppose them, you're going to be fighting against God. And hey, guys, that's not a good proposition. And so he introduces us to the privilege that we have that I'm hoping we grasp even more completely today, that our definition of church, our definition of Christian elevates how God sees us. And Gamaliel, a non-Christian, gets it. Here's Here's basically what he says, and here's the unstoppable privilege. Christians and the church are in an unstoppable partnership with God. Think about it. Unstoppable partnership. So you walked in here today and, and you have an understanding of you, who you are, church, and who Rockbridge Community Church is, and, and who you are, right, and, and what you're dealing with. How many of us walked in here and said, man, I'm a partner with the Almighty God. I'm a part of something God started. When people oppose me, if I'm doing what my God created, called me, commissioned me to do, they're fighting against God. I am a partner with the God who spoke everything into existence. How many of us live up to that? Understand that, embrace that, receive that. Yet it's all throughout the Bible. Second Corinthians 6:1, Paul says he calls us God's partners. They're in plain language, right? God's partners. So I want us to embrace this privilege today. And to do that, I'm going to share an analogy that Jesus uses in his longest sermon in Matthew 5, and then we're going to go look at an example of this partnership in Genesis 18. So here we go. So here's what Jesus says. He's preaching a sermon. He looks out at his followers, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. And that's how he describes them. Now, salt back then not only made food taste better, but it kept meat from decaying. So he said, Look, you get out of the salt shaker, and you get positioned throughout the earth, and, and, and you make it better, and you keep it from decaying. And so that's the description Jesus uses for this partnership, and he's going to expand upon it. So he says, you're the light of the world. Light penetrates darkness. Light clarifies paths. Light gives direction, gives focus, gives aim. He says, you're a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. I want your light to be influential and visible. He says this, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but rather you put it on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house that we don't we're not living in darkness. We put lights and lamps on lampstands so people can see and people can have clarity and people can have direction. And so in the same way Jesus says, you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. This is why we do hope why we do hope expressions locally, why we take global trips, why we have global partnerships, why we give a bunch of our budgeted money away to missions and doing good works, so they can connect your good works and give glory, give honor to your Father in heaven. That's why we do all this. And so he says, hey, you're salt and you're light. So, so he looks around, out at us and he says, I, hey, in that job over there at third, second shift, I've got some salt there. I've got some light over here on third period. Hey, on the football, basketball team, I've got some salt there. And he sees that he's positioned us all throughout the earth, all throughout the world to be influential. So if I had to describe in my own words what Jesus is saying, he's saying this. This is, a, this is our partnership. We're positioned in proximity to the world. For kingdom influence, we're salt and we're light. So, so salt does not say if salt is no good in a salt shaker, and lamps that aren't on lampstands where they're visible or lamps that are hidden are 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 no good. So Jesus is saying, hey, I I I put you throughout the world to be influential. That's an aspect of our partnership. So, so again, let's just stop. How how many of us walked in here and our definition of Christian was, I'm going to miss hell. Verses, man, I'm salt and light today. How many of us walked in here and said, "My church is not just Walmart for me to get spiritual experiences and spiritual stuff. My church is not just McDonald's, like Mac Church. My church is salt and light in six cities." In Georgia and in Tennessee and wherever God sends us to the ends of the earth. How, how many, don't raise your hand, how many of us in our heart of hearts, that's how we see Rockbridge, that's how we see ourselves. That's how Jesus sees us partners. It's powerful, right? It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Now, now, now listen, 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 listen. God's the majority owner in this partnership, all right? He, he's got, it's, it's kind of like the, the NBA rookie, and he got put on the same team with Michael Jordan. And this was a game Michael Jordan scored 68 points. And the rookie scored one point. They went up to half the game and said to the rookie, they said, Hey, what was it like to play with Mike? He said, Man, me and Mike, we scored 69 points, right? So that's a little bit like our partnership with God. But the privilege of playing, partnering with Michael Jordan, the privilege of playing, partnering with God. Salt and light. Let's look at an example of this and, and, and break down this partnership even more because this example in Genesis 18 really applies to our lives today in such a powerful way. So this is a, about a guy named Abraham, <clears throat> and uh, let me introduce you, Abraham, 18, 16. Here's what's going on. There's been some angels or divine beings. I don't know how else to describe them. They come to Abraham, and they basically tell him and his wife, Sarah, and they're like way past the age where you can make babies, Okay and uh, so they tell Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a son within the next year, and this is to fulfill a promise that God made to Abraham that he would be a blessing, and through him all the world would be blessed, all the nations, all the ethnos, all the ethnic groups would be blessed, all right, so blessed to be a blessing, and they tell him that's going to happen, okay, <coughs> and then they're about to leave, and this is where we pick up the story, and, but it just so happens that they're positioned salt and light, they're positioned near an evil city named Sodom and its uh, twin or its partner, Gomorrah. And Abraham was walking with them, these angelic beings, to see them off. And look what happens, all Right, God stops, and, and this is kind of God in human description, so we can kind of see how he's relating to Abraham. And here's what he says, should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? No, no, I shouldn't because we're partners. Partners, you know, marriage partners, they don't hide what they're about to do, right? Uh, business partners don't hide what they're about to do. So he said, I, I'm not going to hide what I'm going to do from Abraham because he's a partner. And Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. We're standing here today. Listen, listen, listen. How to, it's a movement. It's unstoppable. We're going back thousands of years. So Abraham was blessed by God. Abraham became a powerful nation. We know that as the Jewish ethnic group, the Jewish people, the people of God, okay? And then through the, people of, the Jewish people, the Messiah, Jesus, entered in the world, and all the world can be blessed through Christ. But we tie that back to Abraham. Paul does this real nicely for us in Galatians 3, where he says, those who have faith are Abraham's sons. So if you're a Christian, another definition of you is you're one of Abraham's kiddos, by faith. The Scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the people from all walks of life, as we say at Rockbridge. He would justify us by faith. And he proclaimed the good news, the gospel, ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith in Christ, a Jew, part of the nation of Abraham, are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Abraham's blessed to be a blessing. Abraham's blessed to become a nation. Through that nation comes Jesus. Whoever puts their faith in Jesus receives the Abrahamic blessing of being a part of the forever family of God. that's how how God sees Abraham. We're partners. He's he's tied into my mission. He's tied into my unstoppable movement of people of faith. So I can't hide what I'm about to do from him. And so he says to Abraham, he says, the outcry or the sin against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. All sin is serious, right? Sin, it causes death and suffering. Sin creates judgment. Sin eliminates hope. Sin causes us to wonder who we are, why we're here. So their sin is extremely serious. And so God, in a kind of a humanistic way, talks to Abraham and he says, look, I'm going to go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. So let's break down the powerful components and aspects of this unstoppable partnership. The first one is this. Abraham, and we are like Abraham. Remember, sons of uh, faith, sons of Abraham. Recipients of his promises and instruments of his purposes. God made a promise to bless people. He made a promise to bless people by faith. That faith started with Abraham and it continued on and it culminates in us who put our faith in Jesus. And then he makes those people who have received his promises by faith instruments of his purpose. That's part of our partnership. So here's what we know. We know who wins in the end. We know how it all turns out. We know the answer to our big sin problem. We know all these answers. God hasn't hidden it from us because we're Partners, and part of being partners is God lets us in on what He's doing, so we can participate with it. We can participate with Him. So that's one part of the partnership. And, and then the story keeps on, keeps on going. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, and uh, Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now, now we can't miss this. Okay, this is so important. In the ancient Jewish text. If we were to go back and read how Jews read this text, it would read a little differently. And it's a Hebrew construction. So it would basically say God remained before Abraham or God was waiting on Abraham. Now, let's put that in context. So God is waiting on Abraham. So (coughs) he's told Abraham what he's about to do. Abraham, you're blessed to be a blessing, but I'm upset with Sodom. Remember that. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you, but we got a problem in Sodom. All right? So so that's what Abraham has heard. That's what Abraham knows. And then God's waiting on Abraham. He's sort of like, the ball's, you've got the ball, the ball's in your court. So so imagine if physical Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, right? But physical Jesus walked in down through here, took the stage, and, 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 and just stood up here and was like, You know what I've asked you to do. You know who wins in the end. You've heard my sermon that you're salt and light, right? How many of us are waiting on God to do something when maybe God's waiting on us to do something? Because we're partners. So, Abraham, remember this is the example, the good example. Abraham stepped forward. And he says, God, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? God, I, here's his assumption. There's some, there's some good people in Sodom. Are you really going to get rid of the bad people and the good people all at once? Is that how you work, God? Will you really do that? He's bold. Because, why is he bold? He's a partner. He's a partner. You go to the New Testament. Hebrews 4 says all of us who are Christians, we can approach God's throne with boldness. Because Why? We're partners, and the blood of Jesus allows us access to the presence of God. Now, the second aspect of this partnership that emerges here is that God has strategically positioned us, or sovereignly positioned us, that God knows salt has to get out of the salt shaker, lamps have to be, lights, lamps have to be put on lampstands, so it just so happens that Abraham is right here near Sodom. He's got a nephew, by the way, named Lot, who lives inside of Sodom, so Abraham's in a strategic position, and he knows what God's doing, he knows he's blessed to be a blessing. So here's the powerful thing, the powerful privilege I want every single Christ follower to understand today. It is so powerful when I when I hit with this kind of hit me and I was thinking through this, I was like, "Oh my goodness, and I need to live up to that." Wherever there's a Christian, there's a reason for hope. Wherever there's a Christ follower, God looks out And he's like, man, I've got some salt there. I've got some light there, some salt here. He looks out at Hickson. He looks out at Cleveland. He looks out at Ringgold, Chatsworth, Dalton, Calhoun. He's like, man, I've got a city within the city there. The church is a city within a city. Jesus said it. A city set upon a hill. And God has hope. Your your family that some of you are going to huddle up with and have turkey with in a few weeks at Thanksgiving. God looks at your family, and you look at your family like, oh, my goodness. God looks at your family, and he sees salt and light because he sees you with your family. Same thing for your neighborhood, same thing for second shift, same thing for your fourth period of class, same thing for every, wherever you're deployed, wherever you're positioned, God's like, man, we're there. I got someone there. I got a Christ follower there. Why? Because we have the hope, we know the hope, and therefore we are the hope for the city, for the family, for the neighborhood, for the school. Even one of the most prominent atheists of the 21st century agrees with this. Richard Dawkins, I've listened to him. I've, I've tried to understand his arguments and understand how to refute some of the stuff. But he, he, he was talking and he was being interviewed about the decline, the numerical decline of Christianity in the West. So Western Europe and the United States and Canada. And here's, here's what he said. He says, I have mixed feelings about the decline of Christianity. And so far as I know, Christianity might be a bulwark against something worse. So Christians could actually be keeping something worse from happening to the world. Isn't that what salt does? Isn't that what light does with darkness? That Christians ha- are a reason to have hope because I don't know that I believe everything they do, but they have a positive effect and maybe they're holding something back f- worse that could happen. Now, let me say it another way, the way a missionary says it. This guy's name is C.T. Studd. Here's what he says. Some people want to live near the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. That's incredible, isn't it? Who wants to be a part of something like that? You are if you're part of the church. Now, in America, we'd rather define the church by comfort, convenience, and consumerism, but I define the church the way Jesus defines the church, by a cause that God has sent us on, and the gates of hell will not oppose us, and we're salt and we're light. So let's open up a rock bridge one yard from the gates of hell, baby, because we're unstoppable, right? That's who we are. Now, here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Abraham, he's saved He's safe, but he's not content. Are we? He's not content that something bad, even though it's maybe justifiable, but something bad is going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. So so he's not a selfish believer because he realizes God blessed me so he could bless others through me. Abraham, Jews, Jesus, the world. Jesus, Christian, church, the world. So Abraham begins a conversation. He says, God, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? And he's burdened for the city, not just Lot, his nephew, but the city. Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people who are in it? He says, God, you could not possibly do such a thing. He's so bold because he's a partner and he understands it. To kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous as the wicked alike repeats himself. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what's just? Won't you, God, judge and do what's right? So the third part of this partnership that's an unmistakable privilege is prayer. And it's the most important part of the partnership, that we would go to God on behalf of our city, that we would go to God on behalf of our family, on behalf of our third period algebra class, that we would go to God on behalf of the United States of America, on behalf of the world, on behalf of our families, on behalf of our kids, on behalf of our husbands, on behalf of our wives, and we would beg with boldness with our prayer. Now, here's a good question, though. Why does he just You know, I think it would be understandable for him just to pray for Lot, but he prays for the city. You know, if I know personally a member of my family is not a Christ follower, I'm more burdened for them. If if I know who, if I know someone who's got cancer, I'm more burdened for them than people I don't know who have cancer. Why does Abraham pray for the city, not just for Lot? Because what's going on inside of Abraham is what I pray goes on inside our church. His brokenness and his burden is growing to match the scope of God's purpose. Because look at what First Timothy says. Okay, got God our Savior, God our Savior wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All of our campuses. I want you to say, everyone with me on three. One, two, three. Everyone, everyone to be saved. And and Abraham's heart is growing. His brokenness is growing. He realizes the scope of God's mission. That through me, Abraham, all, a nation will be born. And through that nation, all the nations will be blessed. So his burden is growing, right? And, and his confidence is in the character of God. And then he goes on, and he, he, and he starts this. This is great. He goes, okay, the Lord says, Well, if I find 50 righteous people in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham answered, Okay. Since I have ventured to speak to my Lord, even though I'm dust and ashes, I mean, I'm the rookie who scored one point, God. I know you got 68, but I'm your partner. Suppose the 50 righteous lack five. So 45 people. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he replied, God, God replies, I won't destroy it if I find 45 there. Then he spoke to him again. He's persistent, right? I mean, so he goes, okay, suppose 40 are found there. The next time I buy a car, I want Abraham to negotiate. Okay. <clears throat> so he says, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, well, I won't do it on account of 40. And then he says, okay, let, let not my Lord be angry, and I will speak further. Suppose 30, 30, 30, 30. And God says, okay, I won't do it if I find 30 there. And then he said, since I ventured to speak to my Lord, suppose 20 are found there. And God replied, Well, I won't destroy it on account of 20. Then he said, Let not my Lord, don't be angry, don't be angry. And I'll speak one more time. Suppose 10. He's gonna stop at 10, but suppose 10 are found there. Now, here's the deal: God never gets angry. God welcomes the bold, persistent prayers. Why? Because Abraham's heart's beginning to look like God's heart. God who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Everyone is everyone. He's not mad. He's like, it's my guy. Remember, remember, go back to the beginning. God was silent before Abraham because he's like, okay, Abraham, ball's in your court. And Abraham has taken that ball and running with it as an unstoppable partner, part of an unstoppable movement. Abraham's like, man, I'm going to score my one point. So God answers him and he says, all right, Abraham, I will not destroy it on account of 10. And when the Lord finished speaking with Abraham, he departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now, here, here, here's the question, okay? Why does Abraham stop at 10? <coughs> Why doesn't he keep going? I, and I don't, I don't, I don't I have a good answer, but I have a speculative answer, okay? Well, it's not speculative. It's a biblically-based answer. I want to give it to you because it's so important that we understand this. So God ends up destroying the city because there was, no, there was not anyone who was righteous in the city which presents a little bit of a problem because Isaiah will say in in Isaiah, and Paul will say, quoting Isaiah in Romans 3, there's no one righteous, not even one. And he'll say this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we're sitting here, and remember the Old Testament always points to the New Testament. Old Testament always points to the New Testament, okay? So we're sitting here, we read the story like this in Genesis 18. It's like, man, if God destroyed Sodom and there was no one righteous, that presents a problem for me because I have a sin problem. I have an unrighteousness problem. So what's going on? But the Old Testament always points me to to anything unresolved in the Old Testament is going to be resolved in Christ in the New Testament. So watch what happens. In Genesis 19, we get the report of the destruction of the city. So when God destroyed the city of the plain, he remembered Abraham. Now, we're connected. Abraham is declared righteous because of faith. We're declared righteous because of faith, and and we become sons of Abraham, Galatians 3. So God looks at the city, and he remembered Abraham. And because of Abraham, he brought out the nephew Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where where Lot had lived. And this point says to something, so God is going to save through one. Now, Abraham is righteous by faith, but that point says that people can be saved, unrighteous people can be saved through one, which is Jesus. Christ, one act of righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone so the tension of genesis 18 where there's no one righteous is resolved in the new testament where we oh yeah there is one righteous in the city and his name is jesus christ and through his righteousness the unrighteous people of dalton cleveland hickson ringold chatsworth calhoun the unrighteous of the world can be made right and have a new relationship, a new life. So the one for the everyone. And so it's important in our unstoppable partnership that we always point to the one, Jesus Christ. We always point to the one, and faith in him makes us part of unstoppable family, unstoppable kingdom, unstoppable movement, and we become unstoppable partners. And God takes us and strategically positions us as salt and light throughout the world, salt and light throughout our cities, and, and our goal is to point to the one. So, so listen, when you leave here today in just a few minutes, Rock Bridge, six locations, multiple languages, Christians, would you see yourself The way God sees you, partner, salt, and light. And whatever position God has strategically and sovereignly placed you in, let's faithfully point to the one, the one righteous one, through whom everyone can be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Let's live up to that unmistakable and incredible privilege. To God be the glory. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, letting us be declared righteous through the faith of your son, Jesus. And God, my prayer is simply this. We're all going to walk out of here in a minute, and it's almost like we're salt coming out of the salt shaker, and we're going to go to family dinners and hobbies and relaxation, or or we're going to go tomorrow to to the gym, or we're going to go to our jobs or our class or our team or our club, or our activity, and God, may we go as a partner, may we pray tonight and this afternoon as a partner, may our heart be as big as yours, God, for the world, for the city, for our country, and God, let us live up to the privilege of being your partner, of being salt and light, and of pointing people to the one, the name above all names, our King and Savior, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen.